DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for our listeners. Listen to this. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. DraftKings is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know that you will too. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a single medal. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we have a great show for you guys today, as we have a couple of small news stories coming across the wire for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but the main event of this episode is an interview that we did with Nate and Carter of the Quack Report, who covers the Anaheim Ducks here on the Hockey Podcast Network. We had them on to talk a lot about Danton Heinen, one of the Penguins' newest acquisitions. So we do a real deep dive on what Danton Heinen's season looked like last year, what we can expect from him coming to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we also talk a little bit about music and as well as some Dom Simone because he did play on the Calgary Flames, who Nate is also a fan of. So we talked about all that and more in the interview coming up. But let's start off this episode by talking about Big Z, Redeem Zahorna, as he re-signed his contract two years at league minimum, 750K. A little bit weird of a structure here for Zahorna as it is a two-way deal this season and moves into a one-way deal next season. So, Horwat, what did you think about the signing of Big Z and is it exactly what you expected? Uh, it is not exactly what I expected because uh, that second year being a one-way thing, I've never seen something like that before. Not that <laughs> I can remember, at least, where the first year, hey, you have that option of just kind of scooting him to the minors whereas going into the second i guess the decision has to be made like what does the one-way deal mean like does it have to be professional or can it be a one-way in the minors uh i mean a one-way deal basically just means if you bring him up you have to clear waivers to send him the back down. okay but but still it's it's although we did see quite a lot of waiver usage also if you're wondering what that sounded it sound is it is my uh dishwasher so ignore it uh, but the interesting thing about that deal is i've just never seen something like that before uh, not that i can remember at least and yeah you kind of just have to make that decision going into the second year of hey do you want to risk um a waiver wire on this guy and i think the lead or i think the team is uh pretty confident in him he played very well in his first uh 
experiment, I guess. His first couple of games mm-hmm. in the IHL. Um, mm-hmm. I know Jesse Marsh doesn't like to, to use the term smaller ice, but that's the way they described it. They said he looked good on the smaller ice, the team that is, and that uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him, so why not roll with it? I like the idea of that second year being a one-way, and it shows the team trusts him and believes in him. Yeah, we're hoping that he can play up to the standards that he set early on last season. Two goals and four points in eight games is, is a good pace, obviously yeah. a very small sample size. But the guy is massive. He's six foot six. He's a depth winger for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you just hope that if he gets the opportunity, which we'll expect him to get the opportunity because of injuries here for the Pittsburgh Penguins, as it always happens. If he gets the opportunity, you hope he takes it, runs with it, and runs somewhat of that half a point a game player that he, you saw him be last season in the small stint. So as far as Zahorn is concerned, I don't think he'll make the lineup out of camp, but I think he's going to be one of the first or second call-ups from the AHL. Uh, if the injuries persist, well, not even if the injuries persist, if nothing else really changes, he might crack it on opening night just by sheer nobody's here. <laughs> um, but other than that, I agree with you on that. He probably won't make it right away. Uh, first or second call-up, depending on the injury situation. And again, like I said last episode, Uh, It really depends on how people do during camp because that's going to be a big tell for the season. Luckily, we are recording this a little bit later Wednesday evening because a good old Wednesday news dump at around 6 o'clock. The Pittsburgh Penguins fired goaltending coach Mike Buckley and promoted Andy Kyoto to be the goaltending coach. I know a lot of people were saying that a change was needed to the goaltending coach position for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A lot of people were blaming Mike Buckley on what happened to Matt Murray, as well as Tristan Jari last year. Uh, I mean, Matt Murray previous to last year, but a lot of people wanted Mike Buckley's head, and I'm not sure exactly why. This might change a couple of things with Andy Kyoto stepping in, but to me, firing Mike Buckley and getting a change in the goaltending coach, I don't think it's a drastic change that's going to be made there might be some tendencies that are are fished out by Kyoto but I don't think this is not it's not going to make me comfortable with Jari and DeSmith going into the season it might make me a little bit more comfortable on Jari's decision making and maybe some of the decisions that he does have to make and some of his the way that he plays the game I, I guess is the way I should say it based on the way he plays the puck but I don't think it's going to be that drastic as to where you're automatically all of a sudden going to have faith in that goaltending duo again. Yeah, it's not a needle mover of a change. It's a little more lateral and something to... It's something just to look at because... If you remember, Mike Buckley was the only one that survived the last coaching axing, right? Yeah, yeah it was never like Gonchar, Recky, and... Yeah, before um, last season. Yeah, it was. he was the only one that survived that. Uh, and to be fair, and I think you mentioned it, that... People have been wanting that change, and rightfully so, if you really kind of look at it in the grand scheme of things, that mm-hmm. you know he was the coach behind Matt Murray's decline and you know eventual departure from Pittsburgh, and he has so far been behind not necessarily the decline, but the, just the sharp drop-off in playoff performance for Jari this year. Um, and obviously he's not... These coaches aren't the guys out on the ice making the decisions in game time. Those are the goalies making those decisions. Those are the goalies making those saves. But if you can get a coach, a new coach back there who can instill a little more confidence and maybe a little bit um, 
better decision making to be made on the ice, uh, then it's at least a net positive. Again, it's not a needle mover. It's more lateral than anything. But yeah. it's a lateral with a little increase because it's new. It's exciting. He's a guy. He's the, he's a connection from that 0304 team that we all love to talk about. And it's it's he's new, so we'll see how it goes. I don't again. It won't be that much different. It, it shouldn't instill confidence in the goaltending duo. But um, you at least know there's a new mindset behind it, and maybe things change. Who knows? This will be. If, if things change for the better here, we will know that there is importance in these coaching decisions, these small mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, we, we obviously saw a, a change when it went from Mike Bales to Mike Buckley, and it was it was a change, but it wasn't anything, again, drastic. It, it still comes down to the player and who is between the pipes for you. So we'll see what small changes are made by Andy Kyoto going into this season. As of right now, he's working with Jari and DeSmith. That's his duo. So we'll see what he's able to do. But a couple more quick news stories out of the Pittsburgh Penguins this week. P.O. Joseph surprised campers at the Willie O'Ree Academy in Pittsburgh this week. The Academy is a free nine-week program that started in June and wraps up next week. But all Academy members will still meet throughout the fall and the wintertime as well with just off-ice meetings, not necessarily on-ice training sessions, but off-ice meetings to talk about the, the society and everything as well in the hockey world. Uh, and it is, according to the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's designed to provide unique training, social, and mentorship opportunities for black youth hockey players in the Pittsburgh region. P.O. Joseph himself was able to surprise the campers on Tuesday. He was skating with them, answering all their questions. There was one player that asked him, about scoring his first NHL goal and just a genuine answer from him. It was really cool seeing all those videos, and he gave a little bit of a media availability following the camp. And with this in Pittsburgh, this is the first Willie O'Ree camp, Willie O'Ree Academy, I should say is the correct way to put it, for the NHL. But the NHL is considering Pittsburgh as a pilot program for something that hopefully We'll be able to grow to other markets starting next year. But as far as Pittsburgh is concerned, they're about to wrap up their first nine-week program. And from all intents and purposes, and all signs are saying that this was an absolute success uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins and for the NHL and for the Hockey Diversity Alliance. As it should be. That's the kind of thing you want to start implementing um, in cities across the country, across you know North America, because you got the Canadian countries, mm-hmm. obviously, or Canadian cities, obviously. Um, it's important to grow the sport in that sense as well. And also, good guy, mm-hmm. P.O. Good guy stuff. That's, that's the fun He's stuff quickly we love to see. Just, yeah, dr- flying down from Montreal for one day to do yeah. it as well. I mean, he's going to fly. He flew right back to continue training with his brother, Matthew. But two you know, times getting Stanley Cup champion, see, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Hopefully, uh, P.O.'s turn is next season. But... Joseph has been long been a guy that we're very excited for in the city of Pittsburgh. We got a little taste of his personality last year and his style last year, and this just adds to the lore that he's building up before he becomes an established member of this organization, which we can honestly expect uh, this season, as we've mentioned on this show. And this is just another great gesture by him, as well as the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. When we have our shout-outs and call-outs, I'm also going to mention another one coming up of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization trying to grow the game in the Pittsburgh area, but uh, I'll leave that for shout-outs and call-outs. And with that, unless you have anything else that you want to mention on this, I definitely don't want to cut it short if you have anything else on it. I don't have too much else on it. I didn't watch the video. I was busy all day Mm -hmm. today, Um, so I didn't really have time to see any of it. I did see the quick 
like screen cap of it saw that he was there so i need to just uh go back in to look at everything i also need to look into the willie o'ree academy a little more it's all it's all still very new to me i'm kind of just um mm-hmm. saying how good of a guy po is and that this is the kind of thing that should be on um in cities with the hockey teams across the league one thing that you brought to my attention, the last thing we're going to talk about before our interview with Carter and with Nate is the 10-year anniversary of In the Room, one of our favorite shows. I know we sometimes forget about it until it comes back during the season, and then we love watching it. It's like reality television for hockey fans, if you haven't seen it. 10 years going, go back and watch the old ones, because if you're a, a They're so hardcore good. Penguins fan... They're really good, and they'll give you a lot of flashback memories, a lot of good clips from Pascal Dupuy. He was kind of the superstar of the early years for this, but definitely 10-year anniversary. The first episode of In the Room aired December 9th of 2011. So just thinking about how long ago that was, and it's not like this is a scrub show either. This is one of the best sports behind-the-scenes shows in any of the major sports. It is It won five straight Emmys Emmy Award for Best Sports Series yeah. Program. Between 2014 and 18. So it is an award-winning program that covers at least our favorite team. And we expect probably your favorite team, too, if you're listening to this. So if you haven't checked out any of the in-room rooms, now is the perfect time. Go binge them. That'll get you through this dog days of summer in August. Go binge them before this whole 10th anniversary thing that they're making comes out, which is going to have a ton more stuff. It's mm-hmm. You mentioned it's going to that the old episodes are going to bring back memories. I mean, this new thing's going to bring back memories for us at least because I mean, some yeah. of the previews that we've seen Craig Adams, Matt Niskanen, <laughs> uh oh, I can't remember any of it. It's just old players. James Neal. James Neal. You also have to remember they started that wasn't Crosby still out with his concussion in 2011 December of 2011. It was he was in between. I think I don't remember if he was exactly playing at that time. So you got to figure they. He came back that season. Yeah, that was his, his comeback against the Islanders. It was definitely at least his comeback season. So you got to figure they started that at a time where, ooh, this may not have lasted. Did you watch the new clip they just tweeted out like a little before we started recording today? Uh, no, I have not watched that one yet. I saw that it was up, but I was I was prepping for the show, so I didn't get to watch it. I'll just give you a quick little synopsis. It was kind of discussing how Pascal Dupuy was the first one to really be into it, first of the players, oh. because um, the guys really didn't know what they could or couldn't say on microphone or on camera. Well, then there's mm-hmm. Pascal just going off immediately. And the first person they, that the In the Room guys ever mic'd up for a game was Steve Sullivan, and <laughs> which, first of all, there's another name. Who? Steve Sullivan was on the Penguins for Steve a season. Steve Sullivan. Um, and at one point, I forget when they said it was, but the mic pack just fell out and was just dangling <laughs> from him. And so I, I never, I mean, this is something that you would never notice unless you're watching in the room. I don't know if that one ever made it to air, but um, there's a clip of him just skating with an ice pack hanging from, like, not an ice, not an ice pack, the mic, the mic pack, pack just <laughs> hanging. And like hitting the ice, you could see him throw it to like throw it um, off of him. Um, so just imagine being at that game and seeing that and wondering what the hell is happening. <laughs> so it's gonna be fun stuff. It's gonna be all kind of outtakes. Also, did you see the preview with Phil flipping off the camera? Yes. Have that screenshot saved forever. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love Phil the thrill and and all these new clips that are from the vault that are gonna be coming out 
of all the old Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to take a quick break when we return our interview with Nathan Carter of the Quack Report. Stay tuned. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are joined right now for a very special guest interview on the show for the first time is Carter and Nate of the Quack Report. How's it going, boys? Pretty good. good. It's nice to have you guys on, especially because initially we were slated, Nick and Nick, to cover the Ducks on the Quack Report. And then we, we jumped over and luckily two much more established, I would say much more deserving hosts started covering the Quack Report. So it's nice to finally get to talk to you guys. I wouldn't say established necessarily what we had. <laughs> we were two episodes in on our own show at that point. Yeah. Like that <laughs> was really it. Pretty so, generous, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where we all basically were before we were scooped up by Dylan and Isha. But either way, we're here now to talk about some Danton Heinen, talk about some Anaheim Ducks, and really just sit down and have a nice conversation about hockey. So to start this off, I do want to talk about Danton Heinen because that is the pressing issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins, basically one of the two big signings this year for Ron Hextall. And the first thing I wanted to ask you guys is what line did he play on? Like who were his line mates and what do you guys attribute him having kind of a lackluster offensive season to? Carter, you remember the lineups better than I do. <laughs> yeah. And I think just to kind of blend everything you were touching on together, I think his lack of offense generated from the fact that he didn't really have consistent line mates. There was, hmm. um, the season was kind of a, a weird one for the Ducks just because there was hardly any offense. So, you, you know, the coaching staff was blending the lines and just trying to find something that was working. So, I mean, there was times Heinen was playing with Getzlaff. There was times he uh, was playing with other young guys like Zegris, like just up and down the lineup kind of all over the place. So I, I think that might be part of it. But also, if you look at his numbers over the last few seasons, they've slowly been declining as well. So th there's got to be some other factors in there too but in terms of um i guess line mates um and, and maybe it's, it's hard to blame his line mates on lack of offense i guess mm -hmm. yeah just to yeah kind of like i can encapsulate all of that but also just talk about like the team as a whole yeah offense was just the main problem out of this year and that's what i think they tried to start to address it more in the draft and that sort of thing getting some guys who can generate offense and get some more goals and that sort of thing like honestly Man, like Bob Murray, the GM of the Anaheim Ducks, even reached out to Carter to try to get some offense, right? Like to like to bring him into the roster. And like Carter can't hit a fucking broad side of a barn, but like <laughs> very desperate. Very desperate. <laughs> Man, it was yeah, it was just so frustrating, like watching like potential chances just turn into nothing, just play after play, basically. So mm -hmm. Like it, it actually gave you a reason to cheer when they finally did put the puck in the back of the net. Most of the time it was ugly. There wasn't anything uh, really great about it, I guess. Hmm. Were you guys like let down by Heinen's play over his course in Anaheim? Cause he seemed to have a better, um, at least statistically a better time in Boston than they did at, in a, in Anaheim when he got sent there. Like, was that what you expected a decline or were you expecting the, the high, the higher rate of scoring that he had in Boston? Um, I mean, I think as fans, when you acquire a new player, you always 
have high expectations for them. Like you, you want them to be as successful as they were in their most successful season, which I think was kind of his first full season in Boston from what I remember. I think that's when he set career high numbers. But um, so, I mean, I didn't obviously expect, you know, 40 or 50 points from him, but just consistent depth scoring and, and competing for a consistent spot in the lineup. And I, I guess he, because it was a shortened season, I think he played like 40 some games or something like that. Um, I, I guess I do have his stats up. I cannot guess. Yeah, like 43 games. Um, but still, there was, there was times he was out of the lineup, so it would have been nice for uh, to see him in a little bit more consistently. But, um, yeah, I think that answers your question. Nate, do you have anything uh, you want to add to that? Or Yeah, the consistency. <laughs> I think Carter touched on it earlier as well. was just, you know, yeah, it was the line mates and whatnot. And that was the entire roster. Every night was put in a blender uh, by our head coach there. Um, Man, we are so deep into the offseason. Why can't I even remember his name right now? <laughs> I, like, it shows you just how much I wanted him out, though, actually, that I'm, like, trying to forget his name already. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he was doing all right offensively, I like to think. Like, it wasn't great, but, um, you know, like, over, over the course of Boston and Anaheim in the 1920 uh, shortened season there, he did have 26 points, 10 goals, and uh, over in – it would be oh god can i do the math in my head here really quick uh 67 games uh and in 43 he had 14 points and had seven goals so like the goal scoring was there and if i'm not mistaken like this will show you how awful like the ducks uh offense was though i believe he was like in the top five for goal scorers was he not carter oh, oh maybe yeah I don't know. Yeah, I, I believe I'm kind it was of trying to block out how bad our team was last yeah, year. So like, <laughs> I, I believe... see 14 points, I'm like, oh, that's not that much. But actually for the Ducks, it might have been quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, like Max Comtois uh, led the Ducks in scoring last year. And I believe it was only with like 10 or 11 goals. I'm just 16. Only... Oh, 16? Okay. Yeah. So not and as then... bad as I remembered it, but uh, Dan, I mean, it's still not great. <laughs> I did seven was in a three-way tie for fifth with Troy Terry and Max Jones. Yeah, it shows you how desperate we are for scoring. <laughs> so did Heinen play on special teams at all? I mean, I looked it up and he does have some minutes there, but was he some guy, somebody that you guys featured on special teams or was he more just a five-on-five -five piece for the Anaheim Ducks? I believe he was on the second power play unit um, mm -hmm. that, that didn't really see a lot of time. I mean, our power play was awful anyways. I usually closed my eyes when the... <laughs> Yeah, on the power play but um, if i'm not mistaken it was 31st in the league oh oh yeah it was awful so uh yeah th i think he got like in the second half of the season he he got quite a bit of time on the second power play unit but um that's obviously reduced power play time so um not a and, and, I, and I don't think he was on the penalty kill from what i remember either yeah as far as i can remember i'm just trying to see if i can find anything for that but i don't think so he was a lot. He was a lot more of a five-on-five five guy, from what I can recall. Yeah, I know. In 2019-20, when he was with Boston, he did play on their power play. It seemed like a lot because he had, I think, four or five power play goals that year for Boston. But it didn't seem like he had that same amount of time when he went over to Anaheim, at least from from the numbers. So that's why I wanted to ask you guys if if you remember him as a as a five-on-five five guy or as a special teams guy. But it makes sense that looking at the numbers, that he was he was more a five-on-five five guy than anything there. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Definitely more five on five. Yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, I have to reword my next question here because I had it written as what kind of goal scorer he is, and we have covered that. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of reword this in saying um, do you see potential in him being uh, 
a higher goal scorer than just seven a season because people have already kind of slated him as the Jared McCann replacement, and that's a big old hole to fill. We know he can't do that, but can he at least step up more than just seven a season? Well, where was McCann in your guys' lineup, second or third? It all depended on who was injured because yeah. there were times where he was the second liner. And honestly, last season he played with Crosby a little bit on the first line, but he found a home at the end of the year on the third line with Jeff Carter. I feel like Hyden is a player with still like more potential. Like there, he hasn't quite hit his ceiling yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, like Anaheim obviously was not a great team last season, finishing 30th out of 31 teams. And, um, you know, as much as even I may question some of the moves the Pittsburgh Penguins have made in the past, <laughs> you guys still have a decent team, like with solid players that you can, you know, put up and down the lineup and that sort of thing. So uh, I think it is just surrounding Heinen with, uh, you know, players that um, can benefit him a little bit more as well and that sort of thing, right? Just kind of develop a bit more of that chemistry. Because like I said, our lineups were an absolute blender. It was hard for anybody to develop chemistry. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think he's got a he's got a better shot in Pittsburgh for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to add too. I, I think he's a very smart hockey player. Like he's not the flashiest. He, he's not going to be putting up highlight real goals or yeah. uh, you know crazy overtime winners. But he definitely knows where to be. He, he just is in the right position. That, that's the same thing. But he has a stick on the <laughs> ice and um, is willing to shoot and also is looking for passing options. Like he's he, he doesn't like to rush plays. Like that that's one thing that really stood out was just how smart he is. So <laughs> I, I could see him being a guy that does play in the top six with guys like Crosby and Malkin just because like Crosby's going to tell him, Hey, go here. And he's going to go there and, and just be open for a pass or something like that. So um, I, I think he has that potential of, of being just a, a guy that can play with veterans, which your team is, is getting more and more full of as the year goes on. So. Yeah. One of, one of the, probably what the three oldest teams in the league going into the season. <laughs> Uh, just to add, it's not necessarily about the goal scoring aspect, but, uh, you know, one of the few or one of the things that also really plagued us was just our back end play. And Danton Heinon seemed to be kind of one of the better guys, actually, of the forward group to be able to play defense, like a little bit closer, I'd say, to like a two way guy. But I don't really know. Carter, do you have like a way that you would describe him at least? Uh, two ways, not a bad way of putting yeah. it. Yeah um because yeah like the guy had he only had 10 giveaways uh in the entire uh, 43 games that he played but he had another 23 takeaways uh as well so he's a yeah he's definitely a guy who can see the puck so Mm -hmm. yeah i guess guess the question is what do the analytics say about uh yep same (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised horrid asked an analytics question because usually when i bring it up he sits back and he just goes nope not touching that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just I'm taking a look through uh some of this right now as well. So, um yeah, he's definitely a guy who will be in on the play uh, out of his seven assists for the season, six of them were the primaries. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so six out of his 14 points being that guy to kind of set it up and uh and whatnot and um just taking a look at some of his on-ice stuff. He is a guy who can uh eat up some minutes i do recall that where's where's his average time on ice here why can't i find this crap <laughs> was it like 1446 yeah 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 someone around the 14 minute mark so which so yeah he's a guy that can eat minutes if you need him to so hmm. i find it interesting that you guys say that he's somebody that could potentially play with crosby because he has that hockey iq and he has the ability to play up and down the lineup i don't think anybody's 
mentioned him in that sort of light since he came over a couple weeks ago when he was signed. I know there's a player that they also signed that has played with Crosby, even though some people have said he should not be playing with Sidney Crosby, and that's Dom Simone. Uh, I know you guys pay attention to the Calgary Flames. You're a little bit of blasty lovers, which Horwat is as well, so he can he can bond with you in that. But was Dom Simone even noticeable? I know he only played 11 games and he did not touch the score sheet, but do you even remember him touching the ice for the Calgary Flames last season? Not overly. Uh, and that was another case of uh, line blending, especially for the first half of the season under Jeff Ward there in Calgary. It was just a little bit different every night. Nothing could be consistent to that until Daryl Sutter came in. And yeah, and even then it wasn't uh, wasn't really a whole lot. So um, I do remember he was a guy that, you know, could have been in spots compared to some other guys sometimes, at least in the bottom six uh, of the Flames, just for kind of what they were looking for at that. But yeah, they didn't really give him a, a whole lot of a chance. So like mm-hmm. just taking a look, like just comparing, you know, the season before, uh, in 1920 uh, with, you know, with Pittsburgh, uh, like even just the games played, right. It shows that Calgary just for whatever reason, didn't want to utilize him uh, as much. Cause he went from 64 games played to 11. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, he was a very late summer signing for those guys, right close to the training camp. Yeah, I believe from what I can remember as well. So. so maybe just a depth option there in case of injury. And they just decided not to utilize him. Yeah. But there was definitely a few guys that Calgary mishandled last year, uh, in my opinion. So Josh Levo being another one, I would have liked to see him a bit more in that lineup. So mm-hmm. Dom Simone went from playing on a first line for 60-plus games with Sidney Crosby to the taxi squad, mostly. Um, and, and he's another analytical piece, but we're going to move off of him because we just wanted to know if he was visible at all to uh, big negotiations because the Penguins have been trying to, maybe, who knows, uh, land a new goalie somehow. Uh, what is the hypothetical? Yep. What is the hypothetical trade for John Gibson? What do you, What do you want from us for that? Sidney Crosby five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's honestly it would have to be a massive package coming back just because John Gibson is so integral to like the few wins that this Ducks team even got this season. Like it's. Honestly, we probably could have been in 31st. We could have been worse than Buffalo, if not for John Gibson, I feel. <laughs> oh, that's a lofty statement. I mean, that's basically, wow. I mean, give you got to give John Gibson like a lifetime achievement award if they would, if that's what he actually did. <laughs> Carter, am I wrong on that? No, or like, no, am, I, am I just looking through it through like the rose tinted glasses because I'm a goalie myself? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think so. Like you look at some of the performances, like we did, okay sometimes against teams like Colorado and and Vegas and um but it was really only because John Gibson was standing on his head and like I I know Miller is obviously quite a few years older but you just look at the difference between having Gibson and Miller in net like it was Mm -hmm. it was night and day and um like I said age was a big factor in that as well Staylock was kind of more in the the middle um Mm -hmm. or Stellars sorry my my Edmonton's showing (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um like he was kind of in the middle of those two, but the uh, yeah, you could definitely tell that you know that even if the team played the same in front of any of the three goalies, the result tended to be better when John Gibson was in net just because he was standing on his head. He's not to compare him to Carey Price, but he's he just plays calmly like Carey Price. Not to say he's the same and or as good, but um, 
that's a whole other debate. But yeah, he's, he just brings a sense of calmness, I think, that is uh, very much needed to for the young Ducks team. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and with Gibson being from around Pittsburgh and everybody else basically shifting goaltenders, that's going to be a continued conversation. So I, I know you guys are probably tired of hearing Pittsburgh fans say, hey, John Gibson linked to Pittsburgh. You're probably going to hear it until the Penguins get another goaltender or until John Gibson flat out comes out and says, I'm not going to Pittsburgh or, or somebody in the Ducks organization is like, this is not happening. It's always going to be a, a hypothetical here in the 412, at least. Well, at least it, we know it won't come from our way because Anaheim is very tight lipped about everything. Yeah. Like, honestly, even the, like the only way that you could have found out about Ryan Getzlaff's one year contract was if you went on cap friendly, they didn't like post any of that stuff. as <laughs> to like what the contract was or anything like that. So oh, that's amazing. Speaking of another player that has been talked in trades and hasn't been pulled the trigger yet, Ricardo Kell's going into the last year of his contract. Does he finally get traded this season, or does he play out his contract year with Anaheim? I hope he gets traded. That's not to say I don't like having him on the Ducks, but we will lose him for nothing, honestly, uh, if he were to continue to play it out and that sort of thing. And, you know, like I, I totally understand, you know, Bob Murray wanting to, stay steadfast on his asking price which but the thing is it is pretty high honestly so Mm -hmm. like he could just tone it down just a little bit like take out the the second kind of mid pick and i think you could get something done honestly so Mm -hmm. yeah and i think he definitely goes to a contender at or near the trade deadline um which pittsburgh will probably very much be in a playoff position by then um so i think he's uh definitely a real possibility to just just flesh out the middle six you guys always seem to make a trade like that you know come Mm -hmm. trade deadlining just Mm -hmm. like a depth second third line guy and i think ricard raquel is that um a very good second or third line guy but um yeah i could definitely see him making his way to pittsburgh yeah we won't we also won't know for a little while because our new gm ron hextall is just as tight-lipped as you know, maybe you guys are. I mean, we don't have Jim Rutherford anymore, who would straight up say, I am trying to trade for John Gibson. <laughs> or I am trying to trade for Marc-Andre Fleury. He would straight up say things like that. But um, back to it, is you mentioned him already. Is this Ryan Gesslaff's last ride in Anaheim or even the NHL? I feel like it could be. Part of the reason I think he did come back is we do have some young guys that just need a little bit more mentoring in uh, Max Comtois and Trevor Zegers, at least at the center position, but they have the potential to be great centermen. Um, maybe not as far, but in comparison to kind of like a Perry Getzlaff uh, tandem that you know we used to have. And I kind of want—I wanted that Perry reunion, honestly, back in Anaheim. So kind of, I was actually a little bit upset that uh, he did go to Tampa Bay. But uh, hey, if you can't beat him, join him, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think he. This is at least. I, I think this could be the last year, you know, he is getting a little bit older and yeah, like I said, just for that mentor role and also to have a proper farewell in front of fans in Anaheim, right? Because at the end of the season, I think they were only allowing 20% capacity or something like that at Honda center. So not really a whole lot of people. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, for a hall of fame uh, career uh, such as his, right. And in the, uh, the city of Anaheim, since the days of the mighty ducks like that's the unbelievable part right um yeah i think he deserves a proper send-off and that's part of the reason of him coming back for one more year i think another reason too is he's only six points away from the all-time um ducks point scorer he's um behind team musilani there 
um, yeah, 982. So also not that far off from a thousand points. So I, I think just one more season to, you know, get that number one on the ducks all time list. And then also pass a thousand, just that, that milestone that like pretty much every guy in the NHL dreams of hitting. So I, I think that's a huge part of just the one year deal. If he was going to stay longer, I feel like they would have signed him for uh, two or three more years, but just the one year deal to me says, yeah, mm -hmm. like this is the last year for him in Anaheim and probably the NHL. So that's a young Ducks team. They're going to be hurting after that 1000th game gift, whatever they have to get gets They're going to be like, this is like half of our salary for the year guy. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And even then, like, I, man, I guess we didn't really talk about this, Carter. What did you think about the, or no, I guess we did. But what did you think about that price again at 4.5 million when he was making nine? Yeah, it's a little steep, the, yeah. the, the four and a half for one year. Like, a lot of veterans, in my mind, just signed for like the one, one and a half million dollar team friendly. Unless you're deals, Obi. But, unless yeah, you're Obi, exactly. of course. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess he, I don't know. He must need that uh, that extra half million at least for uh, his his chickens there that he's got. So, <laughs> speaking of those young players, I did want to ask about Trevor Zegers. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him when talking to you guys. But he was sent back down after his first stint to to start becoming more of a center, get used to that in the AHL. Do you think we see him for a full year next year, or is there still stuff that he needs to figure out in the AHL as far as the center ice position? I think. Uh better question or a diff uh, a question that we'll probably be asking is should he be in the nhl for the next year and the answer is yes will he be well it depends on how the coin toss lands with bob murray and dallas eakins because that that's seems to be that's his name dallas eakins <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> yeah like it's so hard to tell what they're gonna do like they they seem very cautious with developing their young guys and i mean it's better than i guess just throwing them on the top line and hoping for the best the good old Edmonton Oilers and, and Buffalo Sabres <laughs> where we need to win now let's just throw our you know 18 year old on the top line and hope he scores 80 points kind of thing so I, I think it, it's better to be a little bit overly cautious Nate I know disagrees but um but yeah I think most likely we see him for the full year at that center position probably second line I would imagine yeah, I don't mind, you know, being that little bit cautious and, you know, giving him that time in the AHL. That's perfect because, you know, again, kind of drawing from another comparison, that was exactly what the Anaheim Ducks did with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. They did play for oh, quite a while, actually, in the AHL during their first season and then came up. Um, my issue more was kind of the back and forth of it, right? Like he played a few games in the AHL. He was doing great. And then brought him up to the NHL and just really babied him to the point of like giving him like just taking him out of the lineup just for rest days, basically, and that kind of thing. And like, I know that's been a thing going on in the NBA, but that's just not really the NHL, especially when you're trying to develop somebody. And, you know, then it was, OK, we're near the end of the season. We're going to send him back down to the uh, the AHL to work on his center uh, play. But it's like, OK, that's where he that like that is his natural position is center. So why didn't we start him at that in the AHL, build that up, then bring him to the NHL and build him from there. Mm -hmm. Right. It kind of, it seemed a little bit like, like, yes, give him a few games in the NHL for him to get the taste of it, send him back. Sure. But it, I think it just got drawn out way too long. And then it also came up of, Oh, we're only there. They're only going to play him so many games so that they can get an additional year of, uh, unrestricted free agency out of him hmm. uh in a like a 
what like eight years down the line or something like that and i'm like okay if you're that worried about eight years down the line like there is a problem here so yeah yeah i think i think the one benefit of you know going back to a normal schedule where you play everybody a couple years is that the young guys will start to see what other rookies around the league are are doing Mm -hmm. um hopefully zegris takes a, a couple pages from cole caulfield and just like goes lights out in like overtime and pots like 40 goals on the season or something like that that would be really nice to to just see him go on a tear but i think uh yeah with just a little bit more competition and seeing more teams and and more players i think will really benefit zegris's play and uh and drysdale as well so if i remember correctly i think the penguins play the ducks pretty early in the season in in their first i believe it's like eight game homestand after they play the two florida teams so i think we'll see the ducks pretty early on in the season there that'll be exciting we'll uh we'll have to do a crossover around then so most definitely uh, i think horwat has one last one for you too yeah well i was gonna make one more comment about john gibson that's when you guys leave him drop him off at the door oh, for yeah. us and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, are, we are we getting I was gonna say we can pull a Calgary in Toronto and we'll we'll just bring him there and then he'll suit up for you guys. It's all good. Yeah, <laughs> like baseball does a ton of trades. Why not do it here? But um, I have a mu- I have a music question for you guys and it's pretty simple. Just what albums have been on repeat for you this summer and you know are they new ones or old ones and who are they from? Carter, go for it. Sure. This is a uh, this is kind of my guilty pleasure album. Uh, <laughs> not gonna lie uh olivia rodrigo's new album nice. sour i've been Ooh, yeah. bumping to to uh, that one uh brutal good for you and driver's license are the big three that i like so it's uh it's not the album i need right now it's the album i needed you know like five six years ago when i was in high school but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's uh it's still really good I, i'm enjoying that i've heard that one through proxy because uh my girlfriend just likes loves to play that one out loud all the time. So I've heard it heard just about every song unwillingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a huge all-time low guy, and I've been on a high of Wake Up Sunshine since it came out last year, like right at the start of quarantine uh, and everything like that. And they've been dropping a couple uh, singles during this uh, this year as well, I'm guessing to lead up to a new album. Uh, they just put out a new song. I think it was last Friday called... Uh, uh pma uh postmodern anxiety and i have been jamming to that at least 10 times a day honestly so prepping for sad summer man that's all it is dude i got (laughs) tickets for them in calgary in november and it's gonna be my first time seeing them i am so hyped even got like the vips and everything i'm so ready for it (laughs) i think i've seen them before i'm trying to remember back i've seen them before probably at warp tour once but i will be Hopefully this, nothing shuts down by then, but I should be working at Stage AE whenever Sad Summer rolls through on uh, September 7th. So I don't know if I'm allowed to answer your question, but I've been listening to OK Orchestra from AJR since it came out like two months ago. So that's that's go. that's my... I have to take a break here because I've listened to it almost too much. Nice. <laughs> Good one. I got a, I got a quick Warp Store, uh, Warp Tour story here. So it nice. doesn't come through Canada, but my family and I had taken a vacation down to Las Vegas. And as we were uh, in the cab to our hotel, I see, you know, like one of the billboards flash and it's like, oh, Warp Tour and like some of the lineup and that sort of thing and the dates. And then I realized I'm like, wait, that's in like three days. And I was like, like I said out loud, I'm like, oh, Warp, like Warp Tour is here. And my dad just goes, yeah, I saw that, but I wasn't sure if there was any of the bands like in that that you would be interested in. And I pulled up the lineup and I'm like, dad, I would have had like overlapping shows. Like what yeah. the hell? <laughs> what, what year was, what year did you say it was? 
Uh, that was... Oh, uh, what year was that? I think it was 2016. So, yeah, because there was... Oh, who was on that tour? There who was, was on that tour? Falling in Reverse, Mayday Parade. Um, 16 was a good year, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I just remember, like, a bunch of bands uh, that were just like, man, like, like some of them would have overlapped and whatnot. And I just remember, like, like just chilling at the hotel room, like, at the end of the night and scrolling through and like all the you know pictures and videos from that day were coming out and like it was at the uh the hard rock hotel and they had one of the stages in like the pool area um but you know there's already the rule of like no moshing right because they don't want to get sued and that kind of the stuff no moshing was... rule yeah <laughs> so but people took the advantage of oh hey the pool is open you move a lot slower in the pool and so they were kind of having a mosh pit in the pool and i was like man i could have been at that that's good <laughs> so my parents did try to get me a ticket actually like once they realized like we were trying but they were all gone so and because they were even like well you know we had to get two and that sort of thing i'm like just send me on my own they're like are you sure i'm like oh. yeah i'm like 19 yeah just send me on my own <laughs> Absolutely. I've gone to multiple war tours by myself. It's the, I think it's the way to do it because you don't have to go to anyone else's band you don't want to see. You just do your thing the whole day. It's an awesome way of doing it. Nice. Yeah, I wish I could have made that one, man. It would have been so much fun. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, boys, thank you guys so much for joining us. We appreciate you jumping on and talking Danton Heinen, a little bit of Dom Simone for everybody's pleasure, and then obviously about the Ducks and some music here as well. But I want to give you guys this opportunity to let our listeners know where they can find you and what's coming up for you guys on the Quack Report. Yeah, well, you can follow my personal Twitter at Carter underscore Potts, P-O-T-T-S underscore 97. Uh, and you can follow the show at Quack Report Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and, and TikTok. Uh, we do live streams. Uh, usually every Wednesday we're taking, well, this week off, obviously, and, uh, well, we're, we're joining you guys here, but we'll be back next week with a live stream, which you can catch on the platforms I just mentioned, as well as at HockeyPodNet on Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, and you can follow my personal at, uh, at Tate Namas, T-E-A-T-E-N-H-O-M-A-S. Um, yeah, I post a variety of stuff, obviously a lot of hockey on there, but there's some music takes and that kind of thing on there, too, and just, you know, my usual nonsense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you boys for joining us. We really appreciate it. And like you said, we'll have to get together once the season starts around that first matchup between the Penguins and the Ducks to talk about where you're going to leave John Gibson and Ricard Raquel for us. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Thanks for having us on, guys. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Another thank you goes out to Nate and Carter of the Quack Report for joining us talking some music, talking some Dom Simone, some John Gibson, and a lot of Danton Heinen. I, I mean, they made me a little bit more excited for Danton Heinen saying that he could potentially be a line mate for Sidney Crosby because of Hockey IQ. I don't know if he's ever going to be put there, but no, he's if, gonna if be, there's a will, there's a no, way. He's going to be fighting Dom, Dom Simone for that spot every goddamn game. So, <laughs> Dom Simone and Evan Rodriguez, don't forget about him. <laughs> Eat this team sometimes. Well... Let's get into our shout-outs and call-outs because my first shout-out is the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll just keep rolling along with that. So my shout-out goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins for temporarily repurposing Hunt Armory in Shadyside. Hunt Armory was built in 1916. It is a historical structure in the Pittsburgh area. The Penguins are going to be repurposing it and renovating it and turning it in to a new ice rink, adding another rink to the Pittsburgh area and making hockey a more accessible sport. 
to those in the area. The rink will be open and operational between the months of November through March of this year on kind of a trial basis. So if it's successful, the Penguins have said that they will consider repeating it next year. Again, just trying to make hockey a little bit easier to get to. Uh, we know accessibility is one of the biggest issues with this sport of trying to instill it into young children, young kids that it's hard to get ice time. So hopefully with them renovating Hunt Armory, they'll get some more players and some more kids, some more ice time, and hopefully they fall in love with it. And the article that I read about it, uh, shout out to my girlfriend Kayla for sending it to me. But in the article that I read about it, it mentioned that they had built 15 deck hockey rinks over the years, and they're looking to build two more. So it's really a testament to the Penguins trying to grow the sport of hockey in the city of Pittsburgh and a real reason as to why Pittsburgh is becoming a hotbed for hockey. Yeah, ever since, I mean, ever since the Lemieux days, has it become a hotbed for hockey? And the, the deck hockey thing, you, I see them posting about all the time that they're building new ones. Mm -hmm. um, God, I wish they'd revamp uh, Deckstar, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's I don't know much about this Hunt Armory one. Again, not doing my research here. But, <laughs> yeah, it's hockey is a hard sport to be made accessible and... I mean, I'm just trying to think. I just moved. What's the closest ice rink to me? I, I don't even think the airport ice rink is still around. I don't remember. That's South a, Point? No, airport. That's a that's a question for Jesse Marshall to answer. I don't even know if it's still around. If not, I know the island um, is still kind of just up the highway, but it's a little further now. Yeah. So, yeah, hot, er, hockey in Pittsburgh it keeps growing. RMUs might be coming back. That's a long situation that no one really yeah. – that I haven't digged into dug into but yeah just bringing accessibility to people is uh an easy and great way of growing the game even if it is just deck hockey like they mentioned mm -hmm. that they built 15 rinks uh yeah having even just a deck hockey rink that's where i played and where you know i kind of grew into the game playing wise because i never played ice mm -hmm. hockey um and it wasn't so much accessibility as was i was always playing baseball mm -hmm. but yeah just having the ability to get to a rink at, at ease and be able to play um you know whether it is ice inline or deck it's something fun it's something it's good to get close to as many people as possible yeah I, and i mean i started playing hockey and street hockey we, we were doing the the old watch for cars and you hear a car and you have to move everything out of the way that that's how i started just trying to get some pads, get get a net together, and play with a couple buddies. So it's really not about getting on the ice in particular, but that is a step. And the Pittsburgh Penguins are making a, a really concerted effort to try to grow the game in the city, and they have been for some time now. And we saw it, as we talked earlier, with the Willie O'Ree Academy. They're, they're trying to pull people in that way and also trying to pull people in through deck hockey and, and now an opportunity to get a little bit more accessible ice in the area with the Hunt Armory. So shout-out to the Pittsburgh Penguins on their continued effort to try to grow the game in the city. Horwat, what is your shout-out for this week? Yeah, I want to shout-out the Around the 412 podcast and all the great things they do uh, because have you seen what's been going on a little in the past couple hours? With the hours, uh, giveaway? With their giveaways being rigged? Um, yeah. <laughs> man, it's – these guys do great work. Let's start there. They're one of the top podcasts in the city sports-wise at least. I don't know about everything else because that whole um, city paper thing came out. And Did you see the best podcast category? No. Didn't recognize a single one. Just saying. Yeah. 
uh, but also seemed like a bit of an in, an inside job because a lot of Point Park things were nominated, and I know a lot of Point Park students still work there. But that being said, back to my shout out conspiracy. Here. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> back to this other conspiracy that we're busting out really quickly. Um, yeah, so the around the four one two guys do great things. They do a cool thing for charities and giving for giving for families for Christmas. Um, then they also do a ton of giveaways. Some of them include tickets to Steeler games that are not easy to come by. And I believe they're one of their season tickets, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. I think so, yeah. Um, and so they're giving them away, and they're going to get you know, accused of, it, of rigging it, of the tickets not being good enough, of some of the jerseys being replica. You're getting free stuff. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. It, and I think Jesse Marshall put it nicely. He said, "Leave it to Pittsburgh to cannibalize a group of people trying to provide Steeler tickets for folks to folks for free." Yeah. Who cares what the game is? I mean, hey, I got season tickets. I don't know how many I have coming up this season. Maybe we'll try and give them away, but you have to prove to be worthy first. <laughs> seeing this, seeing people be ungrateful through, uh, through Steeler ticket giveaways. I mean, doesn't make me want to do it. See, here's the thing, though, about that. It is. It seems like so many people that are, are doing it, but realistically, it's a small minority of people that yeah. are just bitter on social media. Absolutely. And, and a lot of us, I know Smitty, who has been on this show. Yeah, we're good. And yeah. Tyler, who we haven't had on yet, but I'm sure he'll be on at some point during the next season. Those guys know that. They know to sift through the crap. There was a lot of also sarcastic stuff with with people that are listeners to them. They're like, oh, you rigged it, didn't you? And and it's a lot of fun play for them. And realistically, it's just the small minority of people that are actually upset about it being quote-unquote rigged. And realistically, it's not. It's not rigged. I do probably the same thing that they do for our giveaways. We just gave away two Pittsburgh Clothing Company t-shirts. I hit a randomizer button. Your girlfriend's always entered in there. Our and friends always it, enter it. Yeah. It's always just a random spin of the wheel, and whoever pops up is who we do it. We don't care who it goes to because we're just happy to give it away. The, those days that we get pictures back that, hey, my shirt came in the mail. Here it is. I love it. Thank you. That's why we do it because it feels great to be able to give back to our listeners in any way that we can. I know last year we gave away two signed pucks. This year we did the, the two jerseys, and we're or not the two jerseys, the two uh, t-shirts and you know, we'll be looking to give more things away throughout the season as we can. And as we hopefully have stuff to give away to you guys. And I understand that it's a small minority, a small minority of people that, um, you know, we're getting on about rigging it, but mm-hmm. you know, it got enough attention that, Hey, Jesse Marshall got to tweet about it. I watched Tyler go back and forth with someone all day on Twitter, basically. <laughs> um, and it's just not the right way of handling things. And again, I am grateful to our fans who have entered in our contests and have won and have only given good things in return to us. Um, good feedback, I should say. And yeah, mm-hmm. our friends and girlfriends enter each of our, all of our contests. I mean, yeah. every time we do one, I immediately send it to like all of my friends in my DMs telling mm-hmm. them to enter. But that's more or less so we get the word out about the show and spread the show that way. But yeah, if one of them happens to win, I trust your process that it is a random yeah. thing. And I know um, none of our friends have won yet, but hey, it's um, good. To, it's always good to get good feedback. So not only shout out to the Around the 412 guys, but also shout out to everyone who 
has just given us good feedback on uh, on our giveaways. Well, let's move over to the sour grapes of the episode, and let's move over to the call-outs. My call-out, and we actually talk about it uh, a little bit. I don't remember if we were recording at the moment, but we talked about Jack Eichel a little bit with Nate. I don't remember if that was during the recording or not because we had a a conversation before recording, but I'm calling out the Buffalo Sabres for still prolonging this Jack Eichel saga. He should be on a different team by now. He should be in rehabilitation from his surgery that he has yet to have, and as we were talking with him, and I believe this was not on the record, so this was before we started recording, uh, at the interview with Dr. Chad Prusmack on 31 Thoughts with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, he was able to go tell Jack's side of the story on why Jack wants a disc replacement surgery instead of a disc infusion surgery. And honestly, even though it was Jack Eichel's side of the story and you have to take it with that grain of salt, Dr. Prusmack made a really good case and said, listen, if we could pull the trigger on this and and he would be the one doing it, Jack would be at 100% ready by the start of the season. It would be up to his conditioning level if he's ready, not up to his neck. And if he does the infusion, it's going to be, well, has it settled? I believe I'm not exactly sure. Definitely go check out 31 Thoughts, the podcast on all the direct terms and medical terms on that. But it seemed as if Dr. Prusmack was pretty clearly, obviously, believing that if Ike was able to get the disc replacement surgery, he should be ready to go by the time the season started for whoever Eichel would play for, because it's not going to be for Buffalo. Uh, even this week, there was a video of Jack Eichel skating in Boston that he was taking a couple shots. He was in full gear. And at this point, if the, if he can be healthy at the regular beginning of the regular season, just do something because it's been put off for how many months now the Sabres just continue to ruin a promising young player's career that they're basically done with. And now just trying to, I don't even know what their side of this is because it's not been told and they might have their reasons, but I don't see any good reason to continue to withhold Jack Eichel's ability to get the surgery and keep him in that organization. They might just be trying to get a good return. I don't know, but at this point you're all, you're, he's Jack Eichel. You will get a substantial return one way or another. Also, the fact that a surgery has been put off for this long, what? How? Because it's it's, it's the Sabres' decision. It's and not even that. I just mean, like, what kind of... It, I get that it's not, like, a broken arm where, hey, that needs to get done, like, now. It's something that he's kind of able just to live life with, I guess. It's a herniated disc. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 not a, it's not a good injury. That's the part that kills me about all this, is how is he just living life right now just with a herniated disc i mean he's been rehabbing it but it, he's never going to be probably he's never going to be healthy enough to be at 100 percent. but he's definitely not going to be good enough to play until he gets that surgery exactly uh, it's, i don't know a whole ton, ton of the injury situation all i know is that hey jack eichel and his agent went out let them out man oh, yeah. let them out you, the the cards may be in your hand here mm-hmm. but you gotta deal them you gotta you just can't do this anymore because it's going to keep looking bad on you. It's going to keep not getting better because at this point you're just wasting your time. Not that they have cap troubles, but you're wasting your cap space. And I, you can't go any lower. There's not much more you can say. This team's already rock bottom and they just keep finding way to dig. Yeah, you're holding your organization back because yeah. listen, the Jack Eichel era in Buffalo is over. Yeah. Finish the trade and move on. Like, they're, they're going to be in serious contention 
for the first overall pick next year, which is Shane Wright. And that is going to be another really good pick that could be, I don't want to say generational talent because they say that too many times, but he's going to be a really big piece for an organization. And if you're still hung up on Jack Eichel this long, you're withholding your opportunity to move on and prep, prepare things for when you might get that Shane Wright pick. So it's not the same situation as Eichel where it's him and nobody around him. Yeah, it, it, it's bad. It's bad, man. Get They sent Ristolainen out. He might be the one person that should have stayed there. Mm. Um, yeah, even he at least has some play left in him. Like, someone go get Deline. He's too good for that organization. Someone go get Olofsson. Someone just get these guys out of Buffalo. And it sucks because... All of them, yeah. And it sucks because <laughs> this is a hell of a franchise. It's, it's They've got great It's history. a hell of a fan base. I mean, history-wise, like... Dominic Hasek, the French connection, it's, they have a history there, you know, it's just been butchered these last few years, and I don't know exactly who to blame other than ownership and management, because, Terry Pagula, isn't he the one not actually running the team though, isn't it like his wife, yeah, but it's long... the Pagula family yeah. and then Kevin Ann Adams, the general manager. Yeah, I mean, do you remember when uh, Ryan O'Reilly lost his love of the game there? Very next yeah. year goes on to win the friggin' Conn Smythe. Yeah. See, so you, you got to get these people out of there. I mean, yeah, it sucks, but uh, like I said, that team's too got too rich of a history to have this happen to it right now. Because you can't get rid of the team. They're you'd lose so many fans you'd lose one of the best fan bases in the in the league because mm-hmm. consistently whether the team is in or out usually out almost always out <laughs> always number two or three in television ratings mm-hmm. they're watching hockey man give them a team yeah. to actually enjoy for what take us home with your call out for the week cool mine's depressing um, I it, it is. I'm shouting out all of the uh, people that want to stand by their decision to not get vaccinated. I get discussing vaccination and discussing the virus yet again. Um, it's a touchy subject, but hey, you know what? Uh, the government's going to start giving money to micro-influencers who um, try to influence people to get the vaccine, so... Uh, at POTUS, here's our here's our pitch. But um, I don't think we qualify, buddy. No, we <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but no, and it's not even because uh, you know because people are giving out money or because, but more or less because the rates are back up again. Uh, mm. People have to start wearing masks at their jobs again, i.e., me, and it's annoying. So, I. A concert has not yet happened at Stage 80. I go back um, August 9th, uh, our Monday episode, and that's just a setup thing. But I cannot wait to, while I'm wearing a mask at Stage 80, to try and talk to someone with a concert happening. Do you have any idea how hard that is just when you can read lips? Yeah. Now you're taking that away, and it's all because these... I don't even know how to put them. I don't. I don't want to. I'm just gonna say these people don't want to get vaccinated, and for what reason exactly? Because the variants are getting worse, the numbers are getting worse again, mm-hmm. and I don't know when. I don't know when or how 
the health and safety of a nation, a country, a continent, a world, became political. What the fuck happened here? What does the health of your friends, family, and loved ones have to do with you being Democratic or Republican? Or, or if you're against a vaccine, that's one thing, but this is different. I've seen people who, are, who were for vaccines at one point in their lives completely change their mind on this for some reason. Um, it's, I don't know, it's wild to me. And also, uh, I'm calling it all the athletes specifically that are very outwardly ag- against the vaccine, i.e., oh, his name's not coming to me now. Colby's uh, uh, Oh. Is he on a hot streak of shittiness? I don't know. It's annoying that I have to wear a mask again. It's annoying that I have to go back into work and wear a mask again. I get it. Yeah. I'm doing it to be safe. And I get that it is the safe thing to do. But we were so close, guys. We were so close. <laughs> I also do think it's a, it's a little comical that we're doing influencers to try to talk about vaccines i'm i guarantee you the people that watch these influencers or follow these influencers are not the people that are not vaccinated that that too it's you need if you get that's why i'm saying like the athletes like i still don't know if lebron has technically gotten it i at least he i don't know if he's announced it or anything like that that would be i remember for i remember at one point he was he was not getting it that would be a huge get lebron james right yeah, but you got to get the right people to do it. I mean, you got Eric Clapton coming, one of the greatest guitarists of all time, coming out saying he's not going to perform in a stadium where the stadium is checking for vaccination records, or not records, but like status. Yeah, that's what hurts you is whenever someone like that is saying they're against it. It's mm-hmm. it, it it more or less hurts whenever people come out as saying they're against it, and it's that's what yeah. drives it down. I think at the end of the day, it it is a medical decision, and it's Correct. a decision to be made by each individual person. I know certain jobs are requiring a vaccination. I know my job currently requires vaccination, and the, the decision is taken out of it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is a medical thing, and I, I look at everybody talking about it, and, you know, I can't force somebody else to get it. I, I got the vaccination. I'm, I'm vaccinated, and that was my decision, and if you decide not to— that is your decision, but uh, seeing what's happening in the world, I, I, I looked at that, and for the health and safety of everybody that I know, that's why I got mine. But it is everybody's decision to me. I don't like to harp on it because it's become a political issue. Um, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that are political issues that shouldn't be political issues, man. I, 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 that's why I don't like to talk about politics because everything gets sucked in and nobody's ever right. Um, so I, I don't like to talk politics, and that's why. And if you've listened to the show, you know that. For the most part, I don't like to talk politics, but... We have greatly avoided politics. I think the only time we have ever discussed it, really, um, was the day we recorded during the insurrection. I think that was really it. That I could That was the only least. time... Yeah, that, that was the only time that we got... Actually, that's the only time I can remember getting... I, I got pretty upset at, at that day, yeah, but... Yeah, because you um, lived there... I don't, or, I don't think we should... Yeah. I, I, I live in D.C., so that was a lot. Yeah, I think what the NFL is doing, too... It's, I don't know, it, with their whole treatment of unvaccinated players versus vaccinated players. Mm-hmm. The way I see it is, if you want things to go back to normal, you're going to have to be safe one way or the other, and that is wear your mask or get a vaccine. The easiest one might be getting the vaccine. I'll push for it. You know, I don't 
mm-hmm. kind of I don't really don't care <laughs> how it comes off because it's my opinion. It's not yours. I will start this off by saying that I will s- suggest to everyone that everyone should get it because it is the health and safety of you. It is not just the health and safety of others. It just protects you from it. So there's that. Also, I'm sure the vast majority of people listening have it. I, I believe in yeah, you guys. I, I believe I, in I, you I, listeners. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I've also said multiple times on the podcast to get it. So hopefully you were listening to me then. Uh, like <laughs> I said, I'll end this rant soon because um, it's late. I work at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just... Oh, I got nothing else. <laughs> I'm done. I've done my due and thank you everyone for listening and god you know just be safe that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg thank you to carter and nate for joining the show as well we hope everybody enjoyed that interview and we hope to get a couple more interviews to come down in august because it is going to be a slow month as far as news for the pittsburgh penguins but like i said that's going to do it for today's episode we'll see you guys next week have a good weekend pens fans You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.